Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is a war going on. Thank you, Jesus, for the time that you have given us, Lord God, in, in this life that you've given us, to give it back to you, to redeem it, to be profitable servants, Lord God. And I pray today that you give us your heart's encouragement, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to love the life that you have given us, that we will redeem the time because the days are evil, that we will know what to do, that we will walk in your spirit. I pray, Father God, that you would cause our eyes to be open to see the imperative that sits before us, Lord God. Even in the storm, in the lulls in the storm, there's still your return. You're coming back. And I pray, Father, that we would hear the mandate, the whispering, the leading of your Holy Spirit within us to do, to follow, to be, to accomplish what you've set before us. I pray today, Father God, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to receive and comprehend. Uh, to be changed and transformed by your word, by your spirit, and that you cause us to speak. Cause me to speak as the oracles of God. May I speak according to your word and your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we also declare to you that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach, delay, hindrance, discouragement, defeat, uh, or or theft, Father God, that you would protect our families, those each who are listening, they and their families, they protect, cover, keep each one of us that we'd be uh, not only um, fruitful, but bear, bring forth much fruit for the kingdom of God. Father, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. We're wrapping up the year and time is running out. Time is of, an, of the essence. Um, it's not like that, you know, sales pitch you often hear, well, you know, the end of the sale, time's running out. This is the time that God has given us to redeem, to be aware of uh, the in- extreme and exciting battle, the war, the culmination of this whole story that God has told us through the, through the power of his word, through his spirit. And I'm hoping that as you are kind of wrapping up this year, as we kind of do this at the end of every year, we kind of slow down a little bit, put the brakes on a little bit, take a few more moments to meditate, maybe have a few more days off from work. Uh, I hope that you don't squander them and waste them doing things that are horrible, like uh, killing time or wasting time. Or That's what we do a lot of times. We just kind of, you know, kill time. It's, um, it's a murderous act, if you, <laughs> if you will. But, uh, but God is talking to us about time. Time is running out. We know this. Uh, and so the question becomes a couple of maybe intriguing questions are, well, where did time begin? And, you know, how do we, you know, where did time begin and how do we know that we are in a time element as opposed to any, you know, uh, you know, some people think that they're eternal. Uh, well, we are eternal, and, but that they have an endless amount of time to do whatever it is. And that becomes kind of a deception of the enemy. But let's look for a minute um, in the first book of the very, very first two chapters in the book of Genesis and see where time 
what began. Time actually was a creation of God. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a created thing or a being, person, place, or thing. Time is kind of its own den- uh, dimension. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovering over the face, hovered, was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So we see the first day, the marking of time through day and night, was actually uh, initiated in the creation of light, which is kind of interesting because in, in a lot of the passages in the Bible, especially in the book of John, you'll see Jesus talking oftentimes about those two concepts, light and time, in the same statement. And we'll kind of look at that a little bit later. But in, in the, uh, it's interesting that when you think about light, and even if you get so technical as to think about the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it has to, you, miles is a distance, per second is a time. So the light that God created had a motion, had a movement, began to move through space at the, the speed of light, which is supposedly a constant, which now they're thinking isn't a constant. It's actually decreasing or slowing down. Time is slowing down. At the same time, in the end days, it seems to be speeding up. So here we have another paradox. But So God created the time. So we're living in what we could call probably a, a, a corridor of time. Um, that time is um, a, a, a limited, it is a limited quantity. It is marked by days, nights, hours, weeks, months, years. It, it is calibrated that way. But when God created light and time simultaneously, um, there was also a distinction then between light and darkness. And so we see that time is kind of overlaid the war in the war between light and darkness in the kingdom of God. And I think what Satan has tried to do um, is to, is to mask the essential critical uh, meaning of time and make us feel like um, we're, we have all the time in the world. As a matter of fact, we have so much that we can, we can, we can squander it, waste it. Um, so that's one of the devil's tricks is to obscure really our understanding of time, making us think that we have plenty of, t- plenty of time, plenty of it, that we're never going to die practically, uh, you know, invincible. And, um, but if you look at the creation, go back there for a second, the rotation of the earth, the actual rotation movement of the earth through, through its, you know, phases of day and night exposure to the sun and then our the back one on the back side of the sun day and night that that motion is a is a time motion it's it's moving moving time is moving time is moving forward time is moving on and but the enemy wants us to think that basically it's standing still that we're not getting old older that nothing ever changes and we just become kind of um uh stuck in that mesmerizing illusion that we will not have to give account to time, and it's it's nothing important. It's there's more of it. Um, it'll never end, and so we we forget that there is you know there are great spans of time. There's ages. There's eons. There's 
And an eon basically is the lifespan of the cosmic a period of time when creation begins and, the, and through that, the destruction of that age. So uh, in, in Greek, that word for eon actually is uh, an interesting word, Erebolus, Boris. And it means the serpent biting his tail. So that's kind of an interesting picture. As the serpent rounds, comes into a complete circle, it bites its own tail, which kind of to me symbolizes at the end the devil is going to wish he hadn't done this and bite his own tail. He's going to devour himself. He's going to be destroyed, if you will. Um, But we oftentimes, and this is where we're at today, this is your life. This is the time that you're going to have to give an account of how you've spent it, how you've used it. Um, and there are seasons in our life. There are seasons of fruitfulness, like the apple tree, and there's seasons of, of rest, and there's seasons of waiting, and there's seasons of um, engaging full on. But we're, we are never to be engaged in the horrible act of killing our time or wasting our time or ignoring the time or trying to pass the time. The Bible in, encourages us and admonishes us to redeem the time, which means to buy it back. He says, because the days are evil. In Ephesians chapter um, chapter 5, he says, let's read that for a second. He says, um, I'm sure you've all heard this and read this and pondered it maybe even. He says in chapter 5, he says, let's begin. Um, let's look at verse 1. Therefore, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as, chil- as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints, neither for filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Or because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, and now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather exposing them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, But all things are exposed and are manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So you see here, he does mix the, um, he first of all, he admonishes us with the ways of the world. We're to be followers of God not walking in the ways of fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, even the, the finer refinements of sanctification, not being in filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, uh, but rather the giving of thanks, knowing this, knowing this. For if we know this, that, that no fornicator, unclean person, or follower of darkness will have their place in the, late, in the, in the kingdom of God, then we are highly admonished and very uh, motivated, really. This is your life. This is your day. This day, today, this moment, this minute is your minute. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to do what God has called us to do? Redeem, um, restore, rebuild, rejoice, rest in God's finished work and in the kingdom and and being fruitful in what he's called us to do. Um, He says, "You you were once darkness, but now you are light. Notice, now. He always puts 
light and time together. You were once darkness, but now that's time. You are light in the world, uh, light in the Lord. Light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So children of the light, children who recognize what we have is precious. Time is a gift. Time is your life. Your life is measured out in days and weeks and, and months and years, and it's measured out in a span of time. Time is like a corridor, if you will, that we are dropped into at our conception, and we walk through that corridor of our particular life, the length of that corridor predetermined by how long we're going to live and how long God has instructed for us or permitted us to live, knowing ahead of time God is omniscient, knows all things, corridor. But in that corridor, as we walk through our life, that corridor is also filled with darkness. It's filled with spiritual assaults and, and uh, temptation. Um, it's filled with uh, affliction, sorrow, grief, loss, misery, many times. But as we walk through that corridor, Jesus Christ has promised to be with us, and his spirit enlightens us, brings us to the truth, the revelation of who he is. So really the persons who are truly dedicated to God, truly know the time, knowing the time and what the times hold and contain and what we're going towards are going to be more than eager to awake. You, you awake, you come up out of that slumber, that sloth of, oh, well, it's no big deal. You know, I've got a lot of time um, to realize that that's part of the trick is to walk in a place of uh, slumber or stupor or sloth or disregard or indifference. And that all reflects back on how you see your life, how you see the gift God has given you as life, life and time. If you squander your time, waste your time, throw away your time, you're obviously doing that to life because your life, you and I must all give each of us alone, individually give an account of our life before God. And so he's he's admonishing us to arise from the dead. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead. A lot of people are dead in sins and trespasses, but I think a lot of um, Christians are very groggy. They've been very seduced into believing lies, very sedated by the mixing and mingling of truth and error, even through the, the, um, the generational agreements that their people have made, possibly even with Freemasonry. They have come into a place of, um, you know, mixing law with grace, as Romans 11 talks about. And then there's a spirit of stupor. And so if you're feeling groggy, sluggish, stupefied, as we agree with these things in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and refuse to walk in the truth of the Spirit, as God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit, this is also going to become the, the uh, mandate for your physical body. So if you're believing lies in your mind and heart about your life and time, and it's not that big of a deal, and I've got more of it, and I don't care, and my life isn't worth it, and blah, 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 your, whole, your body, physical systems are going to begin to reflect that kind of agreement, and you are going to have some serious biological malfunctions in your in your body as well. But he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. That means carefully, not as fools, but as wise. And there is a wisdom of this world that is actually demonic. Um, it looks good. It sounds good. It makes reasonable sense. It may even be, seem seemingly logical, but it is, as James talks about, it's demonic. But the wisdom that is from above doesn't look at appearance. It doesn't look at the way things look. It doesn't look at the way you feel. It looks at what God's word says and what the spirit of God says. And so therefore we can walk with a revelation, with a, with a purpose, with a, a focus. Um, a lot of times people, again, they lose focus. I mean, we're, we're you know, driven, yes, restless, yes, um, always striving, 
yes, but never with a true focus on the things that ultimately matter. So this year, as you're kind of maybe making an assessment, looking back a little bit, remembering how the year went and did it go the way you wanted to, many of us are tempted to try harder to make another uh, set of resolutions or admonish ourselves, try harder, pick up the diet thing, go after the the five-year plan, you know, try to get five years accomplished in one year or whatever we do. And it's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to be the thing that we want it to be. Um, you know, you and I may have been tricked this year into waste. I think that's one of the biggest sins is to not cherish the, the breath that you have. Every, you know, and that includes your relationships with others to cherish those thinking, you know, we think, well, I, you know, I've got all the time in the world to go back and apologize to forgive or to make it right or to follow God. You may not. You may not live another 24 hours. We don't know. This is the whole point. But we do know that time actually itself has become uh, one of God's weapons against Satan because it actually marks his time. Uh, there is a limited amount of time. God is counting down the days until the doom and destruction of Satan in the lake of fire. He's sentenced. Uh, to, he's also caught in this time quarter. Yes, he's an immortal being, but his time on earth is short. Even Revelations 12 says when he is shaken out of the second heaven and cast out of the, the, the first, the third heaven, uh, which, you know, he roams about between the two and he is cast down or confined to the earth for a short time in Revelations 12, it says that he actually, um, his time is short and therefore he, He's, he's even more um, intense and hyped up. It says, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, Revelations 12, 12. Woe to the inhabitants of earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows his days are numbered. The clock is ticking for Satan, and he knows that at the point where his time is overdone, he will have to give and render that final account to God for what he did. And, and we know what he did. He knows what he did. But that's his problem. Your problem is what did you do? What, what have we done? And it's not about doing. It's not what the, the world hands you as the, the remedies or the, the method or the list or the uh, protocol for success. It's not based on appearances. It's not based on what people think about you. It's not even based when, upon what you think about yourself our ideas of who we are and what we could be and should be and um, have accomplished are all very relative to our perspective, which is also very limited to us and the few people around us. But what does God say? What does he see? How does he demonstrate his love towards us? And what is important? What is ultimately most important in this um, life? You only get one. We only get one life. We're not going to be here for, um, an endless amount of time on this earth. This is a cauldron, a proving, a testing ground. And this is where we um, have the opportunity to embrace the revelation of Jesus Christ, the story that God has given us of his love through um, Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, reducing, uh, surrendering his glory to become as one of us, to grow up amidst of, in the midst of us, to tell us about the kingdom of God, to tell us about, love and forgiveness and the true nature of God, who God is, and then present that to us as an option, not an option for despair and, and pointless fruitlessness and futility, but as an option to greatness, to become part of his kingdom, 
to be um, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, to be warriors and soldiers, to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, to stand for the truth, to use our time very wisely. Um, You know, so time is something that um, is a precious gift to us. A lot of times, you know, we go into these um, fantasy worlds where we go back in time or we go forward in time or we, we fool around in time and, 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 you know, but the only thing you can do with, with time going backwards is remember things. And the only thing you can do with time going forwards at this point is to anticipate unless you're looking at the future with God's word as your guide, that there are great things um, awaiting those who love God. Um, his counsel, God says he is the author of time who declares the beginning from the end. Uh, today, in, the, in this very modern, postmodern, post-truth era that we have actually lived to see, we've, you know, many of us have started different points in this journey, whether you were born in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and each one, as the period of place that we begin, seems to first give us the first impressions of what is important, what is real, and as we have degenerated, in our uh, drawing near to the end of time, as we degenerate in the truth and the revelation of God, uh, it seems like our perspective begins to is set on a foundation that's uh, more trivial and more meaningless. And so, like for example, the millennials are the or have a, a lot less comprehension of the true nature of what's really going on, possibly than the baby boomers who had possibly more exposure to the concepts of God and to um, the true nature of things. Not to say that one is better than the other. It's just that we start in different spots. And because we start in different spots um, in the events in the world, we begin there and we begin to believe what we believe by what we see based on what's going on around us there. So there, there's another element of time that's, that's um, the, God, the Bible talks about redeeming the time as one of the major activities to buy it back, to redeem know, to get to know, to rest, to, to do what are, what's important to God. To what's, that's really what's also very important to us, believe it or not. Um, we think that we're fulfilled in, in, the, in when we can control our worlds and we can have lots of money and we can, you know, everybody likes us and we're at the top of the hill. But that's, that's not God's, you know, idea of a successful life. But redeeming the time has to do with understanding the will of the Lord. The other concept of time that's very trying and testing is waiting, waiting and redeeming. A lot of times the redeeming of our time is is waiting is superimposed over redeeming. And a lot of us are waiting, waiting for the answer to come, waiting for someone to come home, waiting for someone to uh, for the promotion, waiting for, uh, you know, the things to change, waiting for our life to get better, waiting. And and in the waiting, um, we can become extremely um, discouraged. And a lot of times the waiting just recycles. You get to a point where you could make a change or make a decision to make a change um, and nothing happens and it goes back to another cycle of waiting. And we think that waiting is a waste. We think it's futile. We think it's that's what we're frustrated about because it doesn't seem like it accomplishes anything. But actually, if you look at the great men and women of the Bible, a lot of their time was spent in waiting upon the Lord. Um, and, and in the waiting, for example, Moses 80 years old when he went back to Egypt to, to um, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, for, for 40 years, he was in 
Egypt, and in another 40 years, he was in the desert. Um, what do you suppose he was doing in the desert? Well, we don't know all of what he was doing, but a lot of it was obviously waiting on sheep, you know, taking care of the mundane, ordinary, everyday things where you begin to lose your sense of greatness or your sense of purpose. And I think that's the whole point of waiting. Um, you know, Jesus waited 30 years before he stepped out into his public ministry. He understands waiting. He understands everyday, ordinary, mundane. And yet these days were no less important and not more to be despised than the days of greatness when he was in the ministry and the, the limelight of the, of the world, you know, feeding 5,000 people, etc. So the waiting was the time that God is the time God uses to ch- test, try our motives, our hearts. And it's kind of a dying time. Waiting brings a lot of, you know, re- resolve and release, release of um, things that are not that important to give them up. You know, for you now, right now, you may be in a waiting time and it might be a time of, but it's, it's not a time where you can't move and do anything. It's not a time where you have to, where you're wasting, wasting and waiting and not, don't have to be the same thing. You can wait on the Lord. You can wait and rejoice. You can treasure each moment. You can um, work in a, in a place of, of gratitude and, and gratefulness, thanking God and blessing God for everything and not become um, bored or um, callous in your in the revelation of God's presence with you waiting. He's with us in the waiting. And if the waiting includes pain, so you're waiting in a painful situation, like some are lying on beds of affliction, uh, sort of like the Job situation, those are also opportunities. And I think if we look at everything that we have as an opportunity from God to give a response, are we going to choose light and God or darkness and grumbling, murmuring, complaining? Are we going to struggle, strive, and try to get ourselves out of this? Or are we going to say, God, thy will be done. You deliver me from this, you know. He said no weapon formed against you. And I think a lot of those weapons are actually the delays, the the discouragements, the waiting, the um, circumventing of the good thing that we were anticipating and hoping for. And so a lot of people get very disappointed or they, they uh brace themselves against disappointment by not having any dreams or hopes at all. And so this becomes a way Satan steals your time. He steals your life. He steals your hope, your, your zeal, your energy, um, and the anointing, the gift that God has given you because you're afraid to believe. You're afraid you're going to get disappointed. And so time uh, is wasted, lost, actually. It's lost because it cannot be brought back that moment yesterday what happened last week is now simply a memory. And so the best way to make the good, a good use of your time is not to fret and regret, you know, fret or regret. You fret the future and you regret the past. It, it is to live the moment and do that. If you begin to live this very moment, the now, which is basically the thing we have, is right now. The breath, the talk, the, the situation, the conversation. The, whatever you're doing right now, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as heartily as unto the Lord, even if it's an ordinary, very mundane thing, and redeem the time. You can be talking to God. You can be meditating on the things of God. You can be memorizing the word and having that run through your mind. It's a very good cleansing system to cleanse the, the filth, the, the sludge out of your mind and your heart by meditating on the word of God. That really, that's really like a detoxifier. 
it pushes that sludge, that mental, emotional backlog of disappointment, just depression, discouragement, lies out of your soul, which is a good thing because a lot of times the soul becomes our downfall, how we think about things, the lies that we've believed. Um, and it says in Ephesians, again, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Um, because of those, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Empty words. Think about what, what are some empty words? Well, if you, a lot of times, you know, empty words are the, the trivial things that we let run in the background of our life constantly, like the TV that's on constantly, that's, that's sending messages into your subconscious, uh, whether it's commercials or frivolity or stupidity or whether it's the radio, this constant din and hum and drum of, of things that are sending messages that are worthless, that are pointless, empty words. He said we're going to have to give an account of every empty word that we speak, but we're also probably going to be having to give an account of every empty word we listen to because a lot of that stuff is just designed by Satan and the God of this world to drag you down, to dull your ears, dull your hearing, uh, and causing you an, un, an unhealthy um, uh, covetousness for things of this world, whether it's, if it's a commercial, for example, covetous thing. If I had this new car, if I use this right toothpaste, if I wear this beautiful jewelry, if I, you know, uh, then I'll be, then I'll be, then I'll be. No, you already are. You already are. You already are a being. You're a beautiful being made by God. It's time to allow that beauty, the beauty of holiness to be seen in you. you it's not too late. That's another lie Satan says to us. Yeah, it's too late. You're never going to get it. It's, it's, you know, you're, it, it's too late for you. You've blown it. You're lost. There's not going to be any kind of repair or redemption for you. And that's kind of what, where he takes us sometimes. So these are temptations in the waiting to, to become discouraged, to become downhearted, to become, get to give up. The Bible continues to say, redeem the time. The time isn't up till the time is up. And if you and I are still alive, breathing, you still have moments, moments, hours, days, weeks. You know, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. I believe that the time we have yet is short. Um, and Satan, if he hasn't fallen to the earth yet, he's about to fall to the earth because the things are going to get worse and worse. But we can walk carefully. We can walk thoughtfully. We can walk in the, in the counsel of God's love, forgiveness, and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is a choice you make. You can walk like the world. You can stay there. You can die there. You can believe the lies. You can believe that, you know, you're never going to have to give an account. Or, and some people, on the other hand, they're terrified of seeing God. They don't know what they're going to do, say. They're hoping that they've been good enough to get in. And this, again, becomes a control factor where Satan tries to control people to make them feel like, um, you know, I've got to be good to get to heaven. I don't know if I'm good enough. So they're driven every day to do more crazy religious ritualistic things, thinking that that's going to impress God. That doesn't impress God at all. It's not what you do. It's how you, it's who you are and what you believe. Whose report are you going to believe? And the devil's report is that you aren't good enough and that you have to do more. But God says, that we are to be, uh, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that we put on, and this is Ephesians chapter 4, that you put on the new man, which is, was created according to God in righteousness and truth. Put on the new man. 
take off the old man, the old man that was created in darkness and fear uh, that grew up learning the ways of darkness through the experiences of the pit you were born into. Put on the new man, which is created according to God. That's a choice. That's a decision that you make. And I don't believe we can even get dressed up in God until we have the Holy Spirit helping us to put on that new man. Therefore, putting away, here's what you put away. Lying. Each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So how many times do we lie? We deceive. We omit the truth. We don't tell the truth. We avoid certain people because we don't want to be truthful, frank, or honest with them. Um, and so in that way, you're, you're not only deceiving yourself, thinking that they're not knowing, but you're also um, disrespecting them. He says, we are members of one another. Let no lying. We're afraid. If we tell the truth, we're afraid that we'll be. And so we, we really walk truthfully. You might begin your life again, born again. And, and, and this is we were born again when we accepted Jesus Christ. And each day we get, he says, his mercies are new every morning. Each morning is a new day. You don't, and a lot of people, what they do with their day is they build on the day before. And if they were corrupt and rotten and lying and bound and stuck the day before, they just continue on the next day. No one ever, you know, you know if you're locked in a place of perversion or you're locked in a place of, of fear or control or, or sexual perversions or physical health issues, we just carry it over for the, to the next morning. He says, but it says in the word, his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. He says, as your days, so shall your strength be. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. And so in these times of walking through our time on this earth, we can redeem it. We can rejoice. We can ask God. You say, well, I've asked him. I've asked him for, you know, to help me. I've asked him to get me out of this, get me through this. I've asked him this and that. And I think, well, if you've asked him, then he's helping you. Then your next, your next um, decision is to believe that he is helping you and not believe the old recordings that Satan has turned the volume up on to make you to believe that God has still not heard you. Look, you're still hurting. Look, still there. still not talking to you. You're still not getting the job. You're still broke. You're still this, that. You know, Satan wants us to look at what it looks like. You and I need to look at what God says. And the only way you're going to get a good look at what God says is to make the determination to read the Bible, read the word of God. So I can't read the word of God. It's too complicated. There's too many renditions and interpretations and too many, um, you know, versions. And, and how do we know it's God and how we know just men didn't just write it and blah, 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 blah. You can ask those questions and Satan will feed you those questions until you're dead. But what do you know in your spirit? You know in your spirit that God is God. This didn't all just happen. I mean, you'd have to be an absolute imbecile to believe evolution and this all just accidentally came to be. That is, you know, the very God's signature is everywhere. It's in the, it's in the, 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 the snow. It's in the, the rain. It's in the trees. It's in the grass. It's in the animals. It's in, the, it's in you. The signature of God's being and God's goodness. And even though God has gotten into trouble, he's gotten into major trouble by, you know, loving us and committing to us and creating us. Still hope for your life. Let's listen to this for a second and I'll be right back. Extra, extra, read all about it. God's in trouble. 
You've just tuned in to EUL, Eternity Uplink, where you are getting all the up-to-the-minute information on the biggest news since the flood. The Court of Heaven has been called into a special session to resolve the dispute in the landmark trial between God and Satan. The shock has left the earth spinning. I heard that the battle is over the souls of the humans. The score was never really settled at Eden, and now it's erupted into this. Satan challenging God's right to rule the world. Can you believe it? First Eden, now Earth, where will it stop? Stay tuned for the latest developments as the story unfolds. Or download the latest episodes to your iPod. This is Angel Anchor. And court reporter for EUL. Indeed, indeed. God is in trouble. And uh, not really. (laughs) It just appears that way. But he is in trouble in the hearts of men because that's how Satan would have it. If you'd like a copy of that God on Trial um, opening arguments, episodes 1 through 16 are completed, and you can download them. I, I actually can't download them. I think you have to buy them, hard copy, um, at our, on our store, liferecovery.com. It's a fabulous, fabulous gift. It's too late for Christmas, but it's a gift that will help you or your children understand the story, the epic story. Uh, and it's written in the form of a dialogue. Almost, uh, it's very entertaining. Very, um, uh, it's almost like a radio drama where you can actually see it in your mind if you have an imagination left. You know that there's things that are happening in the world right now that are culminating in the final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a help upon the way. Now, going back to Ephesians for a second. So we put on the new man, which is created according to the righteousness and true holiness that God would have. Putting away lying, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Anger comes from offenses. Offenses comes from injustices. And how many of us have not been sinned against in an unjust way or offended? All of us, that's the whole name of the game. So the opportunity to become angry is uh, incredibly multiple and um, prevalent. But to be angry and sin not. What does that mean? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means before the sun goes down, you need to take that injustice to the Lord God and forgive that person or situation. Turn it over to God. Even if you don't know who to forgive, God, I forgive. You know, a lot of times we don't know who to forgive because it's it's a system. Maybe it's even God you need to forgive. But you turn the crime over to God and you say, you be the judge of it. Now remove from me this, the, the accuser of the brethren who's trying to use this against me and his case against me in the court of heaven. Release me back into the fullness of, of blessing and, and prosperity or blessing and peace of mind. It says, nor give place to the devil. Don't give him opportunity through murmuring, complaining, holding on to the grudges, the bitterness, because actually if you hold on to that long enough, that bitterness becomes sickness and inflammation in your body, actually. A lot of people have inflammation and they don't really even spiritually realize the root of it. Um, and they think, oh, it's, you know, some... It's the body responding to the injustice and and the anger and the bitterness and doesn't know what else to do with it except begin to burn itself up. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. You know, nowadays giving to him who has need is also hard because because of the lawlessness that's in the world, the, the, um, the treachery, the trickery, the deception. A lot of us are afraid. Um, the love of many has grown cold, but the giving, um, feeling like, well, they're just going to rip you off. They're going to take advantage of you. They're, you know, it's hard to just give with a, 
a peaceful, clean heart. But God says, he says, don't give place to the devil, don't steal, and give to him who has need. That hasn't changed, even though maybe people are taking advantage of that. You just need to do what God says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the use of necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. Now, this is probably, verse 29, one of the hardest of all of the um, uh, commandments, if you will. It's a, it's a commandment. It's a, it's a corollary of love. The commandment is love. Love the Lord your God. Love one another. Um, and these things are not, you know, if you do these things, you can't really do any of these things outside of the context of love. You can go through the motions, but sooner or later that's going to break, that you can't maintain that kind of discipline. But if you do it out of love, it will not, the, the continuation of love, in spite of you know, being offended or the injustice is coming against you, the love of God is greater than all of those things. But the corrupt communication is, is these little sarcastic quibs and jabs and pokes. And a lot of times, you know, that's not redeeming the time well. That is wasting time. That's giving place to the devil, especially husbands and wives and, and parents and children. The, the words, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. Do you have to say that word? Did you have to say that? Did you have to make them feel bad? Did you have to remind them again? Could you have said something that would be more edifying and bring grace to them, bring encouragement? Why is it we think it's our job to tear each other down, especially our children or our mates? Why do we think we have to polish them, perfect them? It's our job to make them perfect or make them control them or make them the way we want them to be because that's oftentimes the way it's understood that you are acting out of a uh, superior position and you're controlling or you're demanding these inferior people to do what you say. We need to be able to give grace to the hearer and not speak that word mixed with anger or with um, a hidden agenda or mixed motives or fear. A lot of times, you know, parents will lecture their children or be speaking to them, but it's really a word that's mixed with fear. And then that fear becomes part of the communication or the anger becomes part of the communication. Um, And so the child is not edified. There's not grace there. There's not encouragement to go on. There's not, oh, mom really believes in me. Dad really has confidence in me. What they're reading is, I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. Seems like I can never do it right. Oh, well, who cares then? Might as well go and do it. And this is the kind of the, the, the hoping, the Satan is hoping that this is the conclusion that this one uh, who's not been edified will, will decide. Well, I might as well just go and do it then. And so we not only can speak words of life to ourselves, and listen to God speak words of life to us through his word, but we need to begin to speak those words to others. You will have to give an account of every idle word you've given. And if you've been, that might be, if you want to do a New Year's resolution, get a hold of your mouth. There's one for you. Shut up. If you can't say something nice, uh, and if the Holy Spirit is, is bidding you to stop and be quiet, then don't say it. And if, it, if, it, if it's going to kill you to be encouraging, then you need to ask the Lord, what's that all about? Why is it so hard for me? to care, to be good, to hope someone else does well? Or why am I afraid or anxious that I can't even speak to them a hopeful word? These, when you dig deeper and ask these questions to yourself, you might need to go back to your prayer closet and ask God to straighten you out so that you can speak a word that's full of grace, to impart grace to the hearers um, and not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Then in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In, in other words, loud quarreling. I mean, we get pushed, we get squeezed, we get pinched, we get pressurized in our circumstances by the devil so that he will squeeze. What's, when you squeeze a grape, what's on the inside comes out. When you squeeze a human being, what the heart is full of the mouth speaks. And so the pressure, the, the fear, the anxiety puts the squeeze on us to speak mean, unkind, uh, unedifying, cruel words, bitter words, angry words, clamor, loud quarreling, setting up war between us. This is not what God would have us do. You say, well, I've got to defend myself. Well, I've got to you know, protect myself. Well, I've got to explain myself. Well, I've got to take care of myself. Yeah, you think so? I don't think so. That's not what God says. He didn't say take care of yourself. It's up to you. He didn't say that. This is what he said. He said, let the bitterness, the wrath, the clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. Put it away. Say no. Say no to the temptation to get upset and get angry. And if you have to, be quiet. Just be quiet. Um, don't give the devil those words because when you give the devil words when, or when people give the devil words about you, they're speaking behind your back. They're gossiping. They're jealous. This is not, not only wrong, it's also very helpful to the devil because he takes those bitter, clamorous, angry, wrathful, gossipy, jealous words, and he begins to craft, use them as part of the way he begins to craft a plot against you uh, to destroy you. He brings to pass those declarations that someone else has spoken over you. And therefore, unknowingly, you're being sabotaged because of the bitter backbiting words that are being spoken about you behind your back. So what you need to do, just as a precaution, is to, every once in a while, just forgive those people who are talking about you behind your back and bless them. It says, bless those who curse you. Can a Christian be cursed? Absolutely. Can people talk about you behind your back and you be a Christian? Absolutely. So therefore, you can be cursed. So bless those who curse you. Pray for them who spitefully use you. And don't do the same thing back. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. The golden rule is very simple, but it really is very, very practical. If you want them to be nice to you, say nice things to you, about you, or behind your back, then you do the same for them. And, and it will be bring in the, in the long run that ultimately yummy, wonderful fruit in your life. You'll begin to like yourselves. We don't like ourselves when we live with all the crabbies anyway. So get rid of the demonic spirits that are t- contentious or warlike, bitter, they're not you anyway, so just get them out, send them out, dismiss them, kick them out. They don't need to hang out in your house. Um, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Remember the harsh and very powerful words of Jesus Christ. If you want forgiveness, forgive. If you want mercy, be merciful. If you aren't merciful or forgiving, God cannot forgive you. That's just kind of the way it, that's the way it works out. That's where it hits the wall. If you hold grudges and are refusing to forgive, and by the way, forgiving one another is the most, absolutely the most powerful, uh, powerful word promise that God has given us. Forgive one another. If you, who's, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they retain. He didn't say, well, you know, they have to be in your presence and they have to apologize first. He didn't say, well, they have to be alive. They still have to be alive. He, you can forgive people who are dead, and you probably need to. People who misused you, abused you, uh, set you up. They, 
a lot of people when they're very evil minded and taken over by evil will die young. They'll die young because they're so guilt ridden and so oppressed. They themselves can't even continue to find any good reason to live. And so, but you, so you may need to forgive them and they may be already dead. So you need to release them from your judgment. That's what forgiveness means. You are no longer acting as judge in this case. You are the plaintiff. You're bringing the, 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 complaint, the complaint before the Lord God and asking him to bring justice and resolution to the matter. And so you let him be the judge and you ask him to judge the, the enemy who is the demon, the, the devil, the liars who set this up in the first place to bring this division. But God is asking us to awake out of these kind of um, the grip of the evil one and to, to walk in righteousness and truth. Um, and let's look for just a minute at Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit now, switching subjects just a tad, not really, but Jesus viewed time and, um, and what to do with that time. In, ver- in John chapter 11, we have the story of, of Lazarus, and we know that there was a delay in time. Jesus waited, held him. He didn't go there. He knew, he knew Lazarus was already dead, and it, had, it was four days, and that was the, the critical length of time for someone to be declared completely dead. But he said um, in verse 9, he says, Jesus said, um, well, they decided that they were going to head back. Jesus said, are there not? 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Again, you're seeing the connection between time, hours in the day, and light. He doesn't stumble because he's walking in the light. He sees the light of this world. Now, he's talking in a practical sense here. But if one, if, if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So walking in darkness, both in the practical world and in the spiritual world, causes us to stumble. Um, these things he said to them after he said, uh, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go, but I will go and, that I may wake him up. Um, then the disciples misunderstanding said, Lord, if he's asleep, he does well, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus simply said, Lazarus is dead. So we see that Jesus is the light of the world. I am the light of the world, he said. He walks in light, will not stumble. Um, and then in verse uh, um, tw- John chapter 12, going on to this discussion, um, again about light and darkness, he says in verse 23, Jesus said, again, the hour is coming that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour. So he's talking about certain hours. There are certain seasons, opportunities in our life um, that cannot be repeated. Um, Opportunities lost are basically not usually regained unless there's some, you know, miraculous intervention where that situation can be, can reoccur. Sometimes opportunities are on the horizon for a while and it's not just a one moment, fleeting moment kind of situation, but eventually Life goes on. We make other choices. We go in different directions, and those opportunities are lost. But he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Jesus recognized the hour he was in. He was in the hour of, you know, within hours, literally, of his death. And yet he was um, talking about this being an opportunity to be glorified. He was realizing that this was the culmination, the point of his life. The whole point of his life was to be crucified and to be resurrected. And so he was looking at this as most people dread the day of their death or crucifixion or, or, you know, uh, undoing. 
he was actually looking at it as the full culmination, the, the pinnacle, the zenith of his, of his time on the earth to be glorified. And then he goes on to verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So again, he's talking about the very critical points in our life, our time where there are hours when we can bail, uh, freak out, wimp out, ask God to, you know, deliver us from this hour. But Jesus says, for this purpose, this is the reason I come here. I'm not going to ask God to deliver me because probably he would. But if he did, then I would miss the whole point of my life. And so many times I think when we ask God to get us out of something, you might look at it differently and say, you know what, maybe this is the reason I'm here, um, not to avoid it, not to run away from it, but to actually go through it and see what God will do. So he was re- ready to and willing to and did actually embrace the time. And then he said, Jesus in verse 30, um, verse 30 and 31, Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes now, now, now there were another identification of time. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. He says, now this is the, this is the culminating, this is the judging moment for Satan. This is where he, we will finally have the evidence on him that we need to judge him forever and cast him into the lake of fire, to the abyss, because all of the naughty, horrible, cruel, murderous things that Satan had done against the human race up to that point in time were technically permissible because he had gained the access to the humans and to all creation at least on a temporary basis. But Jesus was looking forward to the end of that temporary permission. Um, and he was saying, now, now this judgment is coming again. And later on in that chapter, he says, then Jesus said to them a little while longer, the light is with you again. Another connection between time, a little while and light. He being the light at that point, while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So again, we see time and light, as I said in the very beginning, were created simultaneously. The light and the, 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 the time were together. And we are in a moment, a quarter of time. Time is going to be no more uh, when we enter into the presence of God. Then we're in a, another dimension called eternity where time no longer exists. But this temporal um, measurement of life and breath and time is our opportunity to walk while you have the light. Why not? Why not walk while you have the light? Why do you want to walk in darkness? Why do you want to walk in the defeat, despair, discouragement, depression, death, and lies of Satan? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Depression, discouragement, anxiety, uh, despair, uh, quarreling, contentions, all of these things are not freedom. They're not the freedom that God died to give us. So we're walking in a darkness, a darkness that has surrounded our souls, our minds, our concepts, our, our um, uh, you know, comprehension of the way things are, the way we look at things. And God, Jesus, in his darkest hour, is saying, walk in the light. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. Walk while you have the light. 
He's with us a little while longer. So we see that the the Lord understands. Um, and going back even further in John chapter 7, again, where he's talking about this moment for him. Um, we, we're seeing some kind of interesting things in verse John chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. Then Jesus said, oh, this was when he was going to go up to Jerusalem. And um, his brothers were saying, ah, you know, go up there. And Jesus saying, no, um, it's not my time. He, then Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Now, what is he saying? My time, knowing what time it is, knowing if it's time to go up or go down. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to you know, throw, throw stones, a time to pick up stones, a time to build, a time to tear down. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3 if you want to go look at it. But he says, my time is not yet come. My time to go up there, it's not quite right. You know, and timing really with God is pretty much everything, everything. You miss it by a second. You miss it, you know, missed it by an inch. You didn't get hit. The car turned the other way, whatever. Timing with God is divine. He's, he's the God of, of time and he can, he rules time. But he says, um, my time has not yet come. Um, then he says, uh, you go up to the feast. He says, I'm not yet going to the feast for my time has not yet fully come fully. He's not ready yet to do it because it's not fully there. So we have to be aware of, you know, walking in the spirit also is a, is a matter of timing and whether I should say it now or not say it, whether I should um, choose that or not choose that, whether I should take that opportunity or seek the Lord to see what he says. And finally, in John 14, this is one of my most favorite of all um, verses. He says um, in 29, he says, um, and now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But, the, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. This is where he's heading out, basically, as a couple more chapters of discussion in John, and then he's heading out to the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he's saying, the ruler of this world is coming. So the time, it's time. It's time. Um, and he has nothing in me. We want this to be the statement that we make when we come to the end of our time. Because Jesus was coming to the end of his earthly life. Um, that the ruler of this world is coming. He's going to come. He even tried to claim Moses' body for crying out loud. I mean, the audacity. If, he, if Satan is going to try to claim Moses, I'm serious. I'm pretty sure he's going to try to claim us. Unless they've got some new thing going on in the New Testament where he can't do that. Because obviously, if he could claim most of us, he would surely do it. Because he's that bold. But Jesus says, he has nothing in me. That's the whole goal of this new year, of this opportunity. Whether it's a year, or whether it's six weeks, or two weeks, or two days. Or maybe we don't even get to 2017. The whole point is that we know that even though Satan would come to claim us, God isn't Satan's got nothing in us. Because everything, is as we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, everything we've been led to do by the Holy Spirit, every breath we've been given to, to breathe has been dedicated to honoring God and living for God. This doesn't mean you have to be sparkly every 20 you know, every 24-7 and you can't ever have a bad mood or a bad day. 
This means that whatever, in, in whatsoever state I am, Paul said, there with to be contentment. So it's an issue of contentment and peace and walking with God. And for those of you who have big problems, which I know some of you do that are listening here, those problems are not your problem. You've got to get over that silly idea that you've got to fix this, you did something wrong, and it's, it's your fault. You have got to realize that whatever situation or circumstance you're in, God wants to deliver you from it. God has permitted the devil to test you in it, and you're not going to figure it out. You're going to rest in God, give it to God, whether it's a wife that is not uh, is under demonic spells and influences, and you're trying, scrambling, and trying to figure out your life, her life, the kids, whatever. Give it up. Let the Lord have it. You begin to praise God, bless God, and be thankful. Do what the Bible says. Live your life as unto him and let him take care of the wife. Let him take care of that husband. Let him take care of that wayward child. You bless God, pray for them, and have faith in God. And know that the devil has nothing in you. Let him, let, don't let the devil convince you he has something in you when he doesn't. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for 2016. It's been a, a, a year for some, a really rough ride. For some, it's been almost impossible. For some, it's been great. But Lord God, for all of us, it can be fulfilling and used by your spirit to accomplish that which you want to complete in us. And let us end this year with the devil having nothing in us. And Lord, the resolution, let it be that we can quiet ourselves before the Lord, ask you to forgive us for um, the injustices, for holding grudges, for sinning against you, against one another. And confess our sins, you said, and you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing and repenting and causing, asking you to turn our hearts back towards your word. Give us a hunger for your word this year. Give us a revelation of Jesus Christ in every situation. And may you be glorified in and through our lives, Father. And in 2017, we now dedicate it to you that your will be done completely in and through your church, the remnant, those who follow you, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, that we will be ready because who knows, this might be the year you're coming back and that would be okay too. So blessings to you, Lord God, and to all the people who listen, and may you be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.